We give God thanks that when we stand in the presence of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, He is not looking at us in the merits of our righteousness. He's looking at us in Christ. He doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you in your Savior and in His purity, in His goodness, in His righteousness. That's good news. Let's, let's pray and then let's locate in our Bibles the text for this morning. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for the gift of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You that You have offered Him up um, for our sins to satisfy the demands of justice and to clothe us in righteousness. We pray that we would stand not in any um, accusation of self or Satan, but that we would stand in the salvation of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us. Now, Lord, as we learn from Your Word, help us to listen attentively. As we draw near to taking the elements of the Lord's Supper, help us to do so um, in unity, with purity. Lord, we ask that You and Your goodness would be kind to us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, in your Bibles, the New Testament Gospel according to John and the 15th chapter. And we're going to begin reading with the first verse. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And we'll stop there. I texted the church group, I believe, asking you to read the whole of the chapter because it does inform our understanding of these introductory verses. We are going to, over the next several weeks, be looking at what we're calling vintage Christian qualities of the Christ-abiding life. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lists various things that are uh, identified as the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want us to really understand those things. And I want us to see uh, how those are borne out in the Christ-abiding life. But before we can get to looking at the, the fruit, we have to look at the vine. Before we can look at those things, the fruit of the Spirit, we have to look about at how those happen. Because sometimes people get to that passage, Galatians 5, and, and, and they make it into a command. Even read John 15 and they make it into a command to bear fruit. So you need to love. Well, yes, you do need to love. Absolutely. We're not questioning that. But there is a measure in which we can approach that passage and be loving, be joyful, be gentle or kind or patient or faithful or self-controlled. And we, we then we hear that and then we start to do it in our own strength, by our own strength. We start looking into ourselves for something that will create that in our life. Whereas the text which we've read this morning says something completely different. The command is not bear fruit. That's the consequence. The command is abide in Christ. Abide in Me. And you will bear fruit. Bearing fruit is a promise if you're abiding in Christ. Are we all on the same page on that? If you're not, that's fine because we have a whole sermon talking about that. I hope you will be persuaded. And if you're still not, we can talk about it afterwards. Always up for a good conversation. There was a time several years ago I was asked to, to preach at a conference. Michael might remember this. Maybe Charles. Um, I was asked to preach at a conference on this exact text, actually. And um, uh, it was entitled, the, the text was given to me and the title, Living a Fulfilled Life. And it was a part of this um, uh, big event that had an advert and everything. Um, it was a bit overdone, frankly. Uh, a Father's Day Spectacular. Adrian, I've shown you the video, I think. We, we, um, no, you've not seen it later. Um, it, it was one of these things that made me chuckle because it was so obvious to me from the conversations that I had before and even when I got there and some of the conversations I had afterwards that the expectation was that I was going to preach a sermon about bearing fruit and there was a particular kind of fruit that they expected to be bearing. You know, it, it, it was not really actually about bearing fruit so much as it was about being fulfilled. How can I be happy? How can I be satisfied? How can I be gratified? And I think that's such a wrong way to approach God's Word. I did preach a sermon on living a fulfilled life, and I explained how true fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. But frankly, I think this text causes us to lift our minds from ourselves, Because ultimately, that is what fulfillment is about, is it not? I, I, I mean, I, I think fulfillment is inadequate to some degree. Because it, it's inward looking. It's self-absorbed. It's oriented towards our, our satisfaction levels and so forth. At least the way it's most commonly used. We have to be honest about that. Someone says, oh, I just don't feel fulfilled. 
They're generally in their feelings about something or other. Fruitful is a better word. And so I want to speak to you about living a fruitful life. Fruit is a sign of our blessing that is produced for further blessing in other people's lives. It's not about how I feel. It's not about whether someone else is giving me fruit. It's whether I am being fruitful and if that is honoring God and others. And actually, a fruitful life is a fulfilled life. But it's not looking at myself and how I feel, but it's looking at God and what glorifies Him. Okay? As we think about living a fruitful life, we, we have to start just with life. We're glad to be alive. I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad you're alive. Made it through another week. It's good to be alive. Some perhaps appreciate that more fully than others. There are those moments where we um, have come close to losing our life or someone close to us has come close to losing our life and that causes us to cherish life itself all the more. Life is a gift. Life is God's grace. Where there is life, there is hope. But there is something within each of you that I dare say yearns for more than just being alive. Is it enough? To just be alive. You want to really live. You want to have something to show for the life that you live. And I hope that what you're seeking is about more than just personal fulfillment. And not just about what you get out of life, but about personal fruitfulness. What you contribute to the lives of others. What is grown and cultivated within you. Even then though, seeking that in and of itself, seeking the fruit in and of itself can become a burden. So it goes back to that thing. It's not a command to bear fruit. It is a command to abide in Christ. But so many people look for the fruit. They seek the fruit. They're after the fruit, not after the one who produces the fruit. Are are you following me? So, So when you're doing that, although... Looking for fruit is not a bad thing in and of itself. It can become a burden. It, it can leave you discouraged. We spend our time looking for fruit instead of living by faith. And we find ourselves exhausted. We find ourselves discouraged. We, we find ourselves troubled. We look for fruit in ourselves. And people who everyone else looks at and say they bear the manifest signs of of a regenerate life, they know the Lord, they're walking with Him, they're so exhausted by their constant introspection, never moving on to look out and see the beauty and glory of Jesus, but only ever stopping and recognizing how sinful they are, that they're discouraged. And we have people who are saved, who are perpetually doubting their salvation. That's discouraging. It's sad. It's hard for me as a pastor to walk through that with someone because they're absolutely convinced, so I'm not legit. Why? You ask them, I've not done this, I've not done that, this is suffering, this could be better. That's, wait a second, are they abiding in Christ or are they abiding in their fruit? That, that, you can't abide in the fruit, you have to abide in Christ. The fruit will come, but often it's better assessed by others. The fruit we look for is good. Please don't get me wrong. 
and the law of God, the commands of God, are good to those who use them lawfully. The scriptures say that. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is, quoted again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But branches do not produce fruit by looking for it. They produce fruit by abiding in, resting in, and being nourished by the vine. In fact, there may be a sense in which if we could uh, confer intelligence to branches and work with the analogy, is it possible that the branch, by looking for fruit instead of looking to the, bron- to the vine, is actually increasingly detached from the vine because it's looking in the wrong place for, for something. I remember years ago, a, a, a guy came here. Someone had recommended him to this church. and I mean, again, this is just, for me, it's a reminder of the toxicity of celebrity um, culture, even within the church. There was someone, a preacher, that they really respected that I had a link to, and that preacher recommended that they come here, even though this person lived two hours away. It's like there, there are churches closer to you that, that you could go to. Um, but he traveled out from far out of London, came here, and um, I found him one of the most depressively negative and judgmental people I've I've ever encountered. It's left a mark on me, and that was over 10 years ago. I still remember his attitude, and I still remember every little thing. I'd recommend a book to him, and he'd say, oh, it's not good. Why? There was a, he'd read it already, and there was like a line in it that he disagreed with, and then he's questioning the author's spiritual maturity or even their salvation. I'm asking him about various people in their life, and he's like, you know, well, they say they're Christians. And it just it, it, that, that was the whole context of the, our conversation was they say they're Christians or they think they're Christians or they believe they're saved. But every, and I began to wonder, does this guy think I'm saved? <laughs> I was tripping over myself to try and, you know, prove it to him. I was like, will you stay for lunch? And you're trying to be very kind and hospitable to him and all of that make, make you know, him feel at least welcome. I didn't want him going back to Hastings and trashing my um, um, you know, reputation among people down there. Trust me, when people talk to you about someone else, they talk to someone else about you. So um, I, um, I was working overtime. I was exhausted by it. I, would, I wouldn't have him into the flat. I mean, this is when my family still lived here. I was assistant pastor. Uh, my dad was serving as a, um, a locum pastor in another church outside of London at the time. And uh, I, I, I told my mom I'd like him to have lunch with us, but um, uh, I'm, I don't want him in our flat. He's creeping me out. Um, so um, we, we had food in the back hall, and the two of us sat there, and I tried to engage him about uh, all of this stuff, trying because I saw the road he was headed. It doesn't lead to a good place for him. Because eventually, when you're always looking, looking down on someone else, you'll eventually run out of other people to look down on and doubt their salvation, and you get to the point where you're doubting yours. Because you're looking for the fruit, not abiding in the vine. 
In this particular man's case, he went away, came back to the evening service, got, uh, uh, came in very late, like toward the end, and he said he got lost in the way. And I was like, therein is a parable. You can know exactly where you're going, and you can be headed there, but you still find yourself taking a wrong direction, and that doesn't mean you're forever lost. You eventually make it home. And uh, tried to break it down for him along that. Still didn't get it. Fast forward a few years, he writes an email that is then forwarded on to me, introducing himself as though we've never met before, and saying, I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. And I, I just felt all power leave my body at that point because I saw this coming. And I was like, I don't know. You, you, you certainly acted at some points like you were the only Christian in the world a few years ago. Now you're saying you're not. So I'm just going to have to approach you from that standpoint and share the gospel with you. Gave him a breakdown of it. Never heard from him again. Our paths crossed and it was another context and equally unpleasant experience. But um, so many are like that. That's a story, a true story. Please, please hear me. Abide in the vine and you will bear fruit. The the first uh, thing that really we see in the text is that a fruitful life is fixed on Christ. A fruitful life isn't isn't fixed on its hoped for fruitfulness or its anticipated fruitfulness. A fruitful life is fixed on Christ. The branch isn't looking outward to the fruit. The branch is looking inward to Jesus. You are the branch. Actually, you, plural, are the branches. So it's not an individualistic activity. That's another problem when people come to this text. It's like, oh, it's me and my relationship with Jesus. And it's like how I'm doing my, my, my thing. And I, if I'm fulfilling the various requirements that I've established for myself or whether someone else has set those requirements for me if I'm ticking the boxes. No. You, plural, congregationally gathered people around Jesus at that moment, but He's also speaking onward to us today, are the branches. I am the vine. So you're not alone. You're not a, you're, you're not a clipping, a cutting. You're not, you're, you're not um, you know, Valentine's Day was this, this past week and there were people that were carrying little roses around and those roses will die. Why? Because they're cut off from the plant. But we are a part together of something bigger, of something better, of something beautiful, of something that will nourish us. The passage before us presents the, the last of seven I am sayings. Have you heard of these? The I am sayings of Jesus? Okay, so um, in these discourses, there's seven of them, Jesus turns the spotlight squarely on Himself and relentlessly causes us to look to Him. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, he, he who comes to Me shall not hunger. I'm the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see already, that's just two, but there's, there's a, a pattern. I am, you are. 
or you will, or, or, or if you. So there, there is a response. There is a, a, an embrace of who Jesus is and an embrace of what He has done. But it is responding, it is responding to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And what He is forever doing. Uh, he says, I am the gate. If anyone enters through Me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. I am the way and the truth and the life. He squeezed three in on us in that one. No one comes through the Father but through me. And now we see, I am the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Even as, as the others are saying, in very clear terms, what Jesus' identity means for us, this one does too. A central command is, the central command is abide in me. Attach yourself to Jesus. Get into Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Let Jesus be who and what you are all about. And you'll find that's quite liberating because the more self-absorbed you are, the more poisonous you are to others and to yourself. The more other person absorbed you are as well. Because then you get bogged down in their issues. And you're not abiding in the vine. So, there's a lot of people that we can be um, connected to as fellow branches, but there's only one that we're abiding in. The vine. If you're too attached to another branch, then you're just going to leech off of each other in a way that's actually not healthy. But if you're abiding in the vine, you're both jointly nourished. And so when the other branch comes to you for something, no, you redirect that branch to the vine. Because we keep going back to the vine. We keep going back to Jesus. Who He is. Start there. Not even with what He's done. Who He is. Be amazed by Jesus. Be in awe of Jesus. God with us. Messiah. Savior of the world. Incarnate among us. Tempted in every way as we are but without sin. Be in awe of Jesus. Jesus is a priest, but He's better than the other priests you've known or read about. Jesus is a prophet, but He's greater than the other prophets that you've heard about. Jesus is king, but He's a different kind of king from any this world has ever experienced. And He's the vine. And He calls us to be attached to Him, to abide in Him. Not just to, to be attached, sort of, because that's still a bit abstract, but abiding is this continual, I'm drawing nourishment from Jesus. When I don't have strength in any other way, when I don't get something from any other person, I can get it from Jesus. And it's not, I'm going to Jesus when it's kind of, oh, I've tried this person or that thing or that. No, I start with Jesus and I don't have to mess around with all of that. 
Abiding is more than initial belief. It's not a been there, done that. It's about entrusting our all continually in perpetuity to Jesus and remaining there, resting there, rejoicing there. Christ is not just a part of our life relegated to when we are in the four walls of the church. If it were, what do you do about churches that don't have four walls? Because the church is the gathering, not the building in which we meet. What if you're some other place and the, the, you know, you're in a situation as many churches are around the world where, where they, they have to meet out in the, the bush someplace, in the fields, in the forests. Well, it's churches beyond this, though it's not less than this. Our abiding in Christ cannot simply be a weekly top-up. It has to be continuous. And that's not exhausting. What's exhausting is trying to live our life in our own strength and then going for that little top-up instead of continually being in the vine, abiding in Him, or, or, or ordering our life around who Jesus is and what He's done and what that means for me. So there's, in the text, there's this um, problem that arises. Of, there, there are some who seem attached to the vine, but they're not really abiding in the vine. See, the, the person who affiliates with the church of Christ, but is not abiding in, seeking after, and following the Christ of the church is essentially an abnormal growth, a branch that for some mysterious reason has grown out of the vine, but is not of the vine and has ultimately gone away from the vine. The, the, the vine nourishes us, but only if we abide in it. Fix yourself on Jesus Christ. Paul says in the book of Colossians, Christ is our life. Can you say that, or is something else your life? What is your life? Is it Christ? This has implications for our priorities. It has implications for our gifts and our calling, for our talents, for our abilities. It has implications for how we order our lives and steward our resources. Absolutely. But before we get to all of that, are you abiding in Christ? Do you know what it is to rest in Jesus and know that in Jesus all is well? Why would you ever leave Him he certainly never leaves you. Does our life seem attached to Christ or to the devil? Are we fixed on Christ or on the flesh? Do we belong to Christ or do we belong to the world? You can't be fixated on the stuff and clutter of your life when you are fixed on the Savior Christ, who is your life. No, He doesn't magically make all of that stuff go away. But He gives you the strength, the power, the wisdom, and the success to order it well and wisely. Second thing, a fruitful life is not only fixed on Christ, it is fed by Christ. I've kind of gotten ahead of myself on this a bit. 
Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Why should we abide in Christ as the vine? Simply because Christ nourishes us. He nourishes us. Jesus is actually walking them through the vineyards outside of Jerusalem en route to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just come from a meal. And at that meal, he's broken bread and he's poured out a drink and um, they are coming from what was Jesus' last supper. At that last supper, Jesus gave something for the church that we call the Lord's Supper. And when we take the bread and when we take the cup and, and, and we bless this, we give thanks for this, we do so often, I certainly do, praying that God would nourish us, that He would strengthen us. Because this reminds us of who Jesus is and what He's done. And as we think about Jesus, and as we're drawn to broken bread, which testifies to His broken body, and as we're drawn to, to a poured out cup that testifies to His blood poured out for our sins, we are nourished by the truth of His sacrifice. Spiritually, as we commit this to God, He nourishes us. And we proclaim His death, the death of Christ, till He comes again and continue to find nourishment in that because of all that it reminds us of. So think about this. They've just had the, um, the, the cup. Crushed out grapes. They've drunk of it. This is my blood. The blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. They're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're one man short. I'll come back to that in a bit. They're walking through the garden to the garden. And one can imagine Jesus gesturing, I am the vine. I am the true vine. Look at these. I'm the true vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. They're seeing these, these vines in growth and in development. And as Jesus testifies to this, one can think of what's about to happen. He's going to be crushed. In fact, later in chapter 15, He does talk about um, indicating something of what's about to happen to Him. The world hates Him. The world will hate you. He, he's about to suffer. They too will suffer. So if you feel at some point that you're crushed, that doesn't mean that you are not abiding in the vine. It may actually be, be the very evidence of it. The world hates me. The world squeezes me out. But I am bearing fruit of Jesus and His sacrifice. And I can because I'm fed by Christ. All along... Um, as we're attached to, to, to the vine, He nourishes us, but if we're not, if the branch doesn't fall off of its own volition, this abnormal attachment, we're told that the Father who is the vine dresser cuts it off for the good of the rest of the plant. That means that while it's painful, it's not always bad if things... People, even, 
get removed from our life. That's very hard. One of the hardest things for a church is, um, is discipline. Uh, when someone has not repented of sin and they're not uh, going through the reconciliatory processes and you just have to say, they're not one of us. It's biblical. It's actually um, just and it is um, a very important accountability, safeguarding thing to use the parlance of the day. So if people are concerned about the well-being and the safeguarding and uh, all of that, the Bible gives us the answers how to approach those things. People are very concerned about abusive behavior, rightly so. The scriptures tell us how to address it. Remove the person from among you. So what's going on there? Well, there's a process that's led to that point. There has to be some analysis. There has to be some examination and some testing. But eventually, the branch has to be cut off. And he says that the father is the one who, in this case, cuts it off for the good of the rest of the plant. And not only does he cut that off, but there are things in your life that he trims, doesn't he? He says he prunes those who do abide. So you might be abiding in Jesus, but there's this priority over here that doesn't really have anything to do with Jesus. Or there's that thing over there that you're really attached to and fixated on, and He's going to take that from you because it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. There's this friendship over here that you're really invested in, ultra invested in, but you've never, how, what kind of friend are you? You've never told them about Jesus. Opportunity removed. Something happens, any number of things can happen, and you just, that friendship's not there anymore. You know, there, there's so many things in our life where, where we can say, we can testify, God took the, the, the pruning scissors out and he, he cut a bit off here and a bit off there. And it was painful in the moment, but we flourished and thrived in the cut places. Some of our friendships need to be terminated. Some of our unhelpful relationships need to come to an end. Some of our um, uh, unchristly priorities need to be thrown away, and we need to take up Jesus. Sometimes we have to go through the trials of Job so that we can learn to trust in Jesus and come out on the other side more richly blessed than we were before. That dead branch is sucking your life away, even though it has none of its own. So the father lops it off and he casts it into the fire so that you can flourish all the more as you draw on the always sustaining power of the Holy Spirit and feast on the riches of God's grace in Christ. He is the fuel that won't let you burn out because he doesn't burn out. Even youths faint and grow weary. Young men will stumble and fall, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Why? Because they have power? Because they're young? No. He says the young men are the ones that are falling. It's the ones who are old and frail and feel at their weakest. They wait on the Lord because they don't have any strength in themselves. And the Lord picks them up and carries them and runs them to the finish. What, what drives you? We've got to get personal when we're talking about a passage like this. We're t- yes, 
The command does not bear fruit, but the command is abide in Christ. Are you abiding in Christ? What, what, what drives you? What excites you? What fuels you? What keeps you going in a world that's, that seeks above all else money? Is that, is that fair? Number one, money? Sex? Seems pretty obsessed with that in all forms. Power, influence. Is there really anything else when you boil it down? Something I'm missing? In a world that seeks all of those things and many others, remember 1 Timothy 6, 9. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. He's not saying it's wrong to be rich. He's not saying it's definitely not saying it's wrong to work hard and excel at what you do. He's saying those who have their priority, their end goal, this, fall into ruin. If your ambition is not a Christ-centered ambition, derived from Jesus the vine then either you're not of Christ or you need a pruning session to rid you of that distraction. Or maybe you are of Christ and you have a holy ambition, but something has fixed itself to you. That needs to be removed. Keep looking to the vine. Read the Word. Study it. Immerse yourself in the Scriptures. Pray the Scriptures. And you're like... You're often approaching all this individualistically again, and so you start prioritizing what you do, and you neglect what we do. He doesn't say you are the branch. He says you, plural, are the branches, plural. So the early church knew their priorities had to be realigned in some way around fellowship. The getting together. That doesn't mean always gathering in a room like this, but the, the rhythms that we've tried to establish in the life of the church to facilitate pouring into one another, whether those be through the gatherings on Sunday or opportunities for service, especially we do those Sunday afternoon because people are here, and while you're here, serve. But throughout the week as well, we have small groups and prayer meetings and and then there's this stuff that no one talks about. They just do where they visit or they call or they text or they meet up with each other. All of that, if it is ordered around Christ, is richly fruitful. We're fed by Jesus. And Jesus nourishes us through the vine as we together go to Him. Finally, a fruitful life bears the fruit of Christ-likeness. Israel was once described by the prophet Isaiah as God's vine, but back then he said that they failed to bear fruit. So Jesus is doing something else with His disciples now than just coming up with an illustration en route to the garden. He's referring to Scripture. Israel was a luxuriant vine but it bore no fruit. Jesus is the true and better Israel. Where Israel failed, He succeeds. This vine is laden with fruit on branches. We are the branches. And as we're fixed on Jesus and as we're fed by Jesus, we will bear fruit.
people misread the text. They, as I said, they tend to focus on bearing fruit instead of on abiding in Christ. They treat bearing fruit as though it's a command. It is a promise. A promise given to those who obey the command to abide in Christ. And that, that command is easy. That burden is light. Rest in Jesus. Take hold of Jesus. Trust in Him. Put your life in His hands. And He will help you. It's not by bearing a fruit that someone abides in Christ. It is by abiding in Christ that someone bears fruit. In and of yourself, you cannot bear fruit. The Scriptures say, apart from me, you can do nothing. That is why first, you must be fixed on and fed by Christ. Some of you are chasing life change or personal transformation apart from Christ. Some people have, uh, have come to me and said, oh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll trust in Jesus um, once I clean my life up. I have some things I have to sort out first. I'm afraid you can't sort those things out. But suppose you could. And I know there are some, and I give God thanks for them, there are some that have overcome horrific addictions and have um, climbed out of poverty and have extricated themselves from gangs and all of that great stuff. Fantastic. I would rather all of that be true than, than they still be bound by addiction and still running with gangs and still you know, um, in poverty. Absolutely. But what about their walk with God? What about their relationship with Christ? Because they get out of that and there's always something else. Because there are people who have always been sober and they're still not satisfied. There's people who have, have always had everything that they need, but they're still not happy. And they're still not seeking. They're still not abiding. How can... How... how how can we switch that around? Go to Christ. Call upon Him. Trust in Him. You must first be fixed on and fed by Christ. You say, hold on a minute. Where did you hear that from? Jesus says it in the text. Verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The point is reiterated in verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So come to Jesus today. Abide in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. As you're fixed on and fed by the vine, you will bear fruit. You breathe a sigh of relief and... Maybe you still haven't understood. You're like, now He's going to restore our shattered dreams of selfish ambition for material gain. That, that's not the fruit Jesus is talking about here. It's very interesting. That was, that was, I sincerely believe, the direction they wanted me to go with the sermon that I did those years ago on living a fulfilled life, a fruitful life. The anticipation was, you know, there's a lot to show for it. You're doing, you're excelling in the workplace and you're um, just, yeah, prospering. And a lot of people do think, oh, if you abide in Jesus, you will bear fruit. That means you're going to have a prosperous life. 
You even hear it in uh, popular uh, television preachers and so forth, guys like Joel Osteen. I, I always, whenever I hear the, the two words, abundant life, I always, for some reason, I think of him smiling and saying, you will have an, ab- an abundant life. Um, and uh, uh, the thing is, it's when you, when you scratch beneath the surface, the abundant life, that's great. Jesus said it. The abundant life, Jesus said, was one that is as content in poverty as in wealth. The, the Apostle Paul said, from prison, I, 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 I have learned in all things to be content. If I have or I have not, it's fine. I'm trusting in Jesus. He is my treasure. He gives me what I need. And there are seasons where he would have had plenty and there are seasons where he had nothing. But he had placed his life in Jesus. I don't begrudge or discourage material success, but I do want to give you a reality check. Your house will one day crumble. In fact, it probably already is. These houses are 150 years old or more. They they were never built to last forever, but people act like they were. This whole city... This whole area is crumbling. There's a facade that's nice. But I've gone into houses that beautifully appointed outside. Redone even by the council and all of that. You go through gaping holes in the ceiling. Water running down the walls. Floorboards bare and um, holes in the floor. Horrible stuff. It's what happens eventually to just about everything. No, what about, what about your stuff? This week I was, I was um, clearing out an elderly neighbor's house. It, it, it's that time, and um, it's better to get a head start on it now than later. And it's actually depressing. Scott was, was helping me. It's, it is depressing if you think about it for a moment. And all of the stuff that was kept in anticipation of being useful which is rubbish, absolute rubbish, like folders of just papers. I have no meaning to anybody. Maybe they had a sentimental meaning to him. Maybe. But he doesn't even remember that anymore. Go and visit him in the home. He doesn't want to hear about his house. He doesn't want to know. Can we bring you some photos? No, I don't want you bringing anything. So what do you want us to do with it? He doesn't have uh, any children to pass the photos on to. He doesn't have you know, any um, real tight connections with which to pass heirlooms on to. You know, auction houses and vintage cash cow have to come to the rescue. Box it up, send it off, get it appraised, take what you can get. Most of it's just going straight to the bin. That's our life. So much of our lives, cluttered with all sorts of stuff, except Jesus. So, as we attach ourselves, as we are attached, as we are fixed on Jesus, as we are fed by Jesus, we will bear better fruit of Christ's likeness. Not stuff that's temporal, but stuff that's eternal. The one who abides in the world bears the fruit of worldliness. The one who abides in Christ bears the fruit of Christ's likeness. If fruit is that by which people know we are attached to the vine, then we must ask, what does the text 
tell us about the fruit of Christlikeness itself. The passage is part of a longer discourse. I asked the church to read it this week. I hope you did. He says, verse 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. Or to rephrase, by this people will know that I am the vine and you are my branches. What? If you have love for one another. In verse 9 of chapter 15, he says, Abide in my love. In verse 12, he says, This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? Greater love has no and than this than that. He lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends, he says. At the core of this fruit then is love. But there are other components to the fruit. Verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But that's in the context of him saying that the Father will prune us so that we will bear more fruit. Verse 7, it is, then we, to find out more about that, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So that's if you abide in Christ and if his words abide in you. If not, so you see the progression, abide in Christ, if you abide in Christ, his words abide in you. And then he says, ask what you desire and I'll give it to you. But there's two things that came before our desire. He's recreated our desires. He's reordered our priorities. You didn't see that coming. You thought, oh, I thought this was me me in the car that I want. Why do I not have that car, Lord? You said. Why have I not gotten that house yet? You promised. No, we didn't. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, my words will abide in you and you will ask me what you desire and I will give it to you. What I desire is spoken with the words of Christ abiding in me. James would say um, later in the New Testament, asking you will receive. And they're like, well, we're always asking, but we're not receiving. And he replies, well, then you are asking wrongly to spend it on your own selfish passions. Christ changes your wishes. Christ changes your wants. He realigns your wishes according to His will. You want to know the kind of things that Jesus, whose words abide in you, asked for? What did Jesus ask for? If His words abide in you, you what did Jesus say? Go to John 17. May they have eternal life. He's praying for salvation. And not for others, Right? May they know that you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Be glorified, O God. Holy Father, keep your people, my people, in your name which you have given to me. May they have my joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy fulfilled in themselves. Keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in truth. I don't ask only for those who now believe in me, but for those who will believe in me. May, may they be one. May they one day be where, with me where I am in glory. May the love that we have eternally shared be in them. So unless you're asking God to give you the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, your, your prayers will sound less and li- less like, give me this and give me that, and more like, glory to God. Be glorified in my life. Be glorified in the lives of my brothers and sisters in the church. Help me to love. 
Help me to serve. Help me to bear fruit. I said there was one man short when Jesus is talking about I am the vine. You see, uh, just a couple of chapters earlier, while they were, while they were praying, while they were eating the Lord's Supper, while they were communing with one another, a man got up and left. He left motivated by greed, motivated by what he thought he wanted, what he thought he needed. He left and sold his Lord out. Silver. Judas, Judas goes and, 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 and trades the life of this one he's lived with for three years. You know, it, it, truth is, Jesus saw it coming. He knew all along. That's remarkable. Multiple times he drops hints about knowing what Judas was up to. He knows, he knows what's going on. I dare say some of the other disciples were on to Judas's case. It's sobering, isn't it? The grace of God is so radical. Chance after chance is given. Opportunity after opportunity to turn. And yet Judas keeps helping himself to the... Uh, the, the money that, that they, they shared together and they had a purpose for that, that fund and he's dipping into it and taking it for himself. And it got to a point where that wasn't enough. And so for 30 shekels of silver, he got up from their prayer meal gathering and betrayed Jesus. Judas had been attached, but he wasn't abiding. Jesus had been affiliated with Jesus, but he wasn't abiding. Judas was um, walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, reading the, the Scriptures with Jesus, listening to the Word of God from Jesus verbally and seeing it incarnally. And yet, although to our eyes and to everyone else's and to their ears, he was quite comfortable in the presence of Jesus and quite satisfied going along with Jesus and all of that and said good things and did great things as all of them did. He wasn't abiding. The difference is um, seen really when you contrast him with Peter because Peter later betrays Jesus as well, later, later denies him multiple times, won't, won't stand with him in his greatest moment of need. We all fall short. But Judas responds to the conviction of sin with, he goes, takes his life because he can't deal with it. He can't maturely face it. And he can't look the Lord in the eye and say, forgive me of my sins. This is what I've done. I can't, I can't give you your life back. But I see you've taken it back. I'm devastated. Please forgive me. He doesn't do that. He goes out and takes his life. Peter, multiple times, 
runs to the empty tomb, jumps in the waters of the sea and runs, swims to the beach where Jesus is. Multiple times speaks with Him. Multiple times has an interaction and multiple times grows in confession, repentance. Even Jesus goes up to heaven and sends into heaven and Peter's still messing about. There's still lessons he has to learn. But he does every time. We're talking about him 2,000 years later. Obscure fisherman. Something remarkable must have happened in his life. Yes, he was abiding in Jesus. And he bore good fruit. That's what I'm asking you today. Are you abiding in Jesus In life, are you serving Jesus? In death, will you show Jesus? On the other side of the grave, will you see Jesus? Jesus Christ is the wisdom and power of God. He is our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. He is our life. And when He appears, we will appear with Him in glory. Will we? I'm not asking, are you bearing fruit? That will happen. I'm asking, are you abiding in Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be merciful and gracious to us, that we would walk in Jesus, fixed on and fed by him. I pray, Lord, that we would bear fruit of Christlikeness. And as we do, that this world would see that we are different, that we are your disciples. May we be less concerned about blending in, more concerned about Are we abiding in Jesus? And as we abide in Jesus, may we look like Jesus more and more. In His name we pray. Amen.